Take up your Bibles now, if you will, with me. And we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 7. This is found on page 571 in your pew Bible. If you're using that, I would encourage you, if you don't have a Bible this morning or maybe some sort of Bible app to use, that you might just turn there and be able to see the passage, the Word of God that we'll be looking at this morning. Isaiah chapter 7, and your your bulletin, I believe, says verse 10 through 14, but let me encourage you uh, to look there at verse 1, and we'll read verse 1 through 14. May the Lord honor the reading of his word. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jeshub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Ramalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tobiel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken to pieces so that it will no longer be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. And I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture. We thank you for the opportunity to have sung together. We submit ourselves now to your word and ask that you would teach us. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. And that you would strengthen us by your word for your glory. In the precious and holy name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It is during this time of year that we often hear what some have thought to be the greatest music composition to ever come from the pen of men. Handel's Messiah. In 1741, George Frederick Handel penned this piece and he did so in a fairly short amount of time and probably what you may know but may not is he did not pin it for Christmas time, he actually pinned it for Easter. 
It's been applied now to the Christmas season and we often hear it and then maybe even and being able to see it perform live, stand at that great final piece, the Hallelujah Chorus. The movement, the, the piece has 53 movements to it. Uh, and the eighth has this verse that we have here in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Beethoven once said that Handel was the greatest composer that had ever lived. But what does this passage mean? What did it mean for Ahaz, who was hearing it for the first time? What did it mean for Isaiah, who was speaking on God's behalf to this man, Ahaz? What has it meant throughout the centuries, and what does it mean for us this morning? We'll take a time to look at it. I read for us in Isaiah chapter 7, uh, 1 through 14, because it's really what you're reading this morning. And uh, what is Isaiah 14 is coming in the middle of a conversation that's taking place. Uh, it's a story that's happening, and it's it's historical in nature. It really did happen. We're thinking probably somewhere around 735 that this actually took place. So I think it's helpful for us to just pause and, and first... Uh, get our hands around, grasp, if you will, the, the players within the story. Uh, who, who are these people? Who's Ahaz? Who's, who's Isaiah? Who's Ephraim? Who's all these other people that are mentioned? I have broken this passage up, as I typically do, into three parts. And the first one will be in verses 1 through 2. And and entitled it simply, The Fear of Man. The Fear of Man. This is Ahaz. Isaiah is a prophet of God. Isaiah's name means Yahweh is salvation. And you could, in many ways, say that the theme of the book of Isaiah is just that. That God is salvation. God is, in a simplistic sense, the center of the book of Isaiah, as he is the center of all other books. But he really is the theme of Isaiah. Isaiah 48, uh, verse 11. That God will not give his glory to any other. That he will do that which he pleases. That is, in, in many ways, the summation of the book. That God is going to do what he pleases and that no one can thwart him. No one can steal his glory. He does all things for his own sake. And Isaiah has been called by God in the midst of a very difficult time for the people of God. By this time, the people of God have been split into basically two. You have the people of Judah and you have the people of Israel. Ephraim, as our passage in Isaiah 7 refers to, is the people of Israel. And this is one of the things that we know did take place in verse 8, is that Ephraim, or Israel, was destroyed. They had given themselves over to idolatry. Uh, they as uh, had erected two different altars, and one of them uh, was up in Dan. We had the privilege uh, last year at this time, my wife and I, to, to stand on the altar in Dan that they used and they, that they erected for false worship in order that people, the people of God, might not go down to Jerusalem and worship God as he had commanded. They'd given themselves to idolatry and they were, at this point, uh, preparing to fight against Judah. And if you'll remember, Judah is the promised lineage from which uh, Christ would come. 
Well, this man Ahaz is the king of Judah at this time. Who is Ahaz? Well, first of all, in the sense that he's in Judah, he's in the line of David. Meaning, he is one of the kings that through his lineage, Jesus Christ would come. At that point, you're thinking, well, then surely God is working with the best of the best. Is not Ahaz a good man? No, Ahaz is a wicked, wicked king. Go with me over to 2 Kings chapter 16. 2 Kings chapter 16. You can read here in this account, and we will, the short few verses that describe for us what is happening in Isaiah 7. Isaiah 16 verses 1 through 9. Bear with me as I read a longer passage, but I think it's helpful for us. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done, but walked in the way of the kings of Israel. And that's an understatement. He even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Romalia, king of Israel, came up to wage war on Jerusalem, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not conquer him. At that time, Rezin, the king of Syria, recovered Elath for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath and the Edomites came to Elath where they dwell to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria listened to him. The king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Kerr, and he killed Rezin. Well, what's happening here? Well, you have a very, very wicked man uh, burning his son for sacrifice. But much more than that, his wickedness lies in the fact that he rejected God. The God of his people, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who had never at any time lacked in fulfilling his promises for his people. These two kingdoms are coming to wage war and and you can, Ahaz is seeing them coming. And, And he's fearing these people. And yet rather than fearing God and trusting God and and using this circumstance of which he has no control to turn to God in repentance. No, he he actually rejects God and, and doubles down in his wickedness and makes an alliance with the enemies of God's people, Assyria. And on top of that then, he goes into the house of God, the temple, the all that had been dedicated for the worship of God and he uses it to buy basically this alliance. Isaiah would go on to tell King Ahaz in later portions of Isaiah that not only would that alliance buy them just short-term freedom, it would eventually lead to their long-term bondage. Ahaz, back in Isaiah 7 now, sees this kingdom coming. Two of them. His heart, as it says, shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. 
Uh, you, you get the, the picture. Uh, the other day it was very windy in Fredericksburg. Maybe it was windy where you were at. We were having gusts of 30 miles an hour. And you look at these great oaks that are in Fredericksburg. And some of them probably 100 plus years old. Right? Immovable in many ways. And yet unable to stand before the wind that God controls. Here we have the picture of a man so hard-hearted that nothing but a supernatural work of God in the, in the bringing of these kingdoms and, and bringing something beyond his ability to control finally shook his heart and he feared man more than he feared God. Those who trust their own devices, their own wealth, Knowledge, self-sufficiency, power, influence, academic prowess, God delights to bring overwhelming odds against in order to mercifully get their attention. We studied this morning in Sunday school this understanding in scripture of an almighty God. That nothing can thwart the almighty power of God. And he delights to make sure that no one can steal his glory. That the proudest heart, that the hardest heart, who thinks they're outside of the control and influence of God, is often those God delights to break. He breaks it not for any other reason than for the purpose of making them to see that they are not in control of their own heart. They are not in control of their own life. He is in control of all things and he desires to walk in relationship with them through Christ if they will but repent. In many ways, these first two verses of Isaiah are about Christmas. Because many will celebrate in the coming days the joy of Christmas, but with hearts hardened to God. They've made their money this year. They will pour it out unto their families but they believe they control their destiny. Second point, three through nine. The word of the Lord. The fear of man, the word of the Lord. Notice, first of all, that Ahaz, in his hardness to God, in his heart fearing man before he fears God, In his heart hardened so much that he will not turn to God. God interjects himself into Ahaz's life. You know, you don't see here an Ahaz in his heart shaking as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Called that Isaiah might come. Or went to the temple and bowed his knee and said, God forgive me. No, no, no. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz. God interjects himself into the life of this man Ahaz, who has rejected him. And he sends Isaiah, the prophet. He sends him to tell him, to give him a word. The word of the Lord. And notice it is in verse 4. Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint. And he uses this picture because of these two Firebrands. No, no, no. That's what the people think they are. These two mighty kingdoms that are coming to crush them. And yet, God has Isaiah said, no, no, no. They're, they're smoldering stumps. They're just 
got a wisp of smoke. They're nothing. They have no power. There's no fire in these guys at all. You get the picture of Psalm 2. The nation's raging against God. And God, and they're blown about. He interjects himself, he injects himself into the situation of Isaiah and he sends Isaiah to give him this word. To call Isaiah in his hardness of heart to look to God. It's very clear here that God in his sovereignty, God in his omnipotence is allowing these two kingdoms to come onto the battlefield against Ahaz, against the people of Judah, his people, he's bringing about this circumstance in order to direct their attention to his word. That's what he does in our lives. He brings about circumstances in our lives. He brings about the the failure of the business. He brings about the failures of relationships. He brings about the benefits of business. He brings about the benefits of relationships. It is all things to call our, direct our attention to his word. It is the word of the Lord in which we are to measure our lives. And it is his word that he desires that the world might know. And thus he directs Isaiah to give the word of the Lord. Just this week, I spoke with a man out of state. And as I was speaking to this man, uh, living in sin, he made a statement in which he was justifying his sin. That it was okay. Uh, He was was okay with his sin. And, And because he was okay with his sin, that was in his mind a justification for why... His sin was not a problem. It was as if because I'm okay with it, it's really not that bad or it's not sin at all. Well, the immediate thing that we then had a discussion about was your your okayness about your sin is not the litmus test of whether it's right or wrong. It's the word of God that is the standard that which we are measured to. It is the word of God in which, in which declares whether our life is right or wrong. Whether you want it to be the word of God or not. It is the word of God that states whether or not our lives are right before God or not. So may I ask you this morning. What measurement are you using to determine the health of your soul before God? Can I ask it again? What measurement are you using to determine the health of your soul before God this morning? What does is, what is God's word say about your soul? You may be just fine with the way your life is. And, and, and you haven't read the word in weeks. God's not fine with that. He says that's to be our bread, our daily bread. You might be fine with giving your life over to spiritual junk food for the last couple of weeks. God's not fine with that. He says it's to be the living word of God that's to nourish us. The, 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 the water. What measurement are you using to determine the health of your soul before God this morning? And let me just state then just like Ahaz, God delights to bring circumstances in order to get your attention that your life is outside of compliance with his word. Maybe that's why you're here. 
He woke up, thought, I'll go to church. But God's inside from control of that in order that he might get your attention. He does these things. He does them very graciously. Well, let's look at this last portion, because this is what we're driving to, are we not? Verse 10 through 14. After all, we talked about Handel's Messiah. We haven't even gotten to verse 14. Third point, a sign to confirm the word. A sign to confirm the word. Here's what Calvin says about this. The reason why God performs miracles, and we're thinking about the virgin shall conceive. A miracle, no doubt. The reason why God performs miracles, namely to confirm us in the belief of his word. For when we see his power, if we have any hesitation about what he says to us, our doubt is removed by beholding the thing itself, for miracles added to the word are seals. God is going to bring about a miracle to confirm that his word is true. In many ways, what we're dealing with in Isaiah and and, in all of the Bible is that God, who is unlike any other, when he says something, he is faithful to it. He has told his people that he would bring a a son. He would bring one who would come and 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 save his people from their sins. We we know all the way back to Genesis 3:15 that there would be one, a son who would come. We know from Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that there would be one of Abraham, a son of Abraham that would come and be a blessing to all nations. We know that from 2 Samuel that there would be one in the line of David, a son who would come. Throughout the Bible, what we see very clearly is when God says something, he's faithful to it. His covenant faithfulness toward his, people, toward his people. And so he's going to confirm that his word is true through this sign, this miracle. Notice what takes place here. They've already given this word to Ahaz. He's already rebuked him in some ways, and yet God mercifully then offers Ahaz, a very wicked man, an opportunity to ask what you will. Solomon, what would you like? Ahaz, what could I do to make you believe that what I've told you is true? Notice what Ahaz says. Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Well, that sounds, first of all, like a pretty good answer. It's a horrible answer. He's mocking God. When God says to do something, obey him. God says, ask. And he, Ahaz, quotes from the Old Testament... Where the people were to, were to not put God to the test in their sin. And Ahaz says, oh, I'm not going to try to test God. Isaiah, now feel, uh, filled with a, a bit of indignation, shall we say. Presses, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? If you won't ask for a sign then you will not tie the hands of God. He who is almighty will do his work and he will give you a sign. The sign of the promised Messiah to come. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name 
Emmanuel. We're told in Matthew 1 verse 23, and this means God with us. Now think for a moment what it must have been like to hear this prophecy that was going to be fulfilled some 500 years later. But think what it must have meant for someone like Isaiah. Sitting in a wicked land with a wicked king, hard-hearted who would not repent. Enemy armies on the, on, on the verge of overthrowing your city. Being told back in Isaiah chapter 6 when you were called by God that you were going to preach against hard-hearted people and that your preaching was going to make their hearts harder. It's the hopelessness of a preacher. You mean they're not even going to like me? No, no, no. And here he is for telling of one who who is to come. God with us. To Isaiah, this is tremendous hope. I am not only going to see my people, my remnant saved from this wicked generation, I will also be able to see God, who is mightier than these armies coming against me, who is mightier than this wicked king whom I'm speaking to. He's going to be with us. That is this, That was what was significant about the God of Israel. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is he was God with them. He was with them. He went with them. He wasn't apart from them. He was with them. But to Ahaz, think of this sign that is being foretold. This is not a sign of hope. For Ahaz, this sign is one of great concern. This is a sign of judgment to come. Messiah, the Messiah that was going to come, the ruler that was going to come and judge. This is what this season is about. Is the baby born of the Virgin Mary is both the savior of the world and the judge of all men. For Ahaz, it struck fear. Fear of coming judgment. But it did not do anything other than harden his heart even further. For Isaiah, it struck great delight. Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. John 1, In the beginning was the Word, And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God with us. Emmanuel. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. The birth of Christ was to fulfill Isaiah's word here that he had spoken from the mouth of God. That God would send, he would, he would intercede for his people, he would inject himself into his story to save his people from their sin. It was a sign 
that was going to be given for Ahaz and the people of Judah. It is a sign even for us. The miracle of a virgin bearing a child. But for us, even as Christians here today, the sign is not just the virgin conceiving and bearing a child. It's also the empty tomb. The resurrection. That Christ is no longer in the grave. Verse 100, uh, Psalm, excuse me, hymn 124. We, we sung it this morning. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Well, for Ahaz, the, the day was not a good one. For Isaiah, it was a day of great hope. But what happened to Ahaz? Look at Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 mentions Ahaz. Now remember, we've made it clear this morning, this is a wicked man. Matthew chapter 1, verse 6. And Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. A wicked, wicked man is mentioned in the lineage of Jesus Christ. It's not to say that this man is in heaven. I don't think he is. It's to say that God uses even the wickedness of men to bring about the salvation of his people. You can be the hardest of heart against God this morning. And he will use you to bring salvation to those he desires. You can reject him. But that does not mean you can reject his use of you. The question then is, will you be like Ahaz and continue to harden your heart this morning, falsely believing that you can thwart the plans of God or operate independent of God? Or would you consider Ahaz? God used his wickedness and rebellion to bring a savior to sinful men. Men like Ahaz, men like me, men and women like you. God used the wickedness of men to bring about the savior of all the world. A son like any other. Will you be like Ahaz and harden your heart? Or will you be like Ahaz and bow the knee? That's the only two questions. But for those who will not repent... Ahaz, maybe even you this morning, the promise of the birth of Christ, the little baby in the manger is not a sign of hope but of terror. He is not only Savior but also Judge. God's promises have never failed and His promises that His Son will return one day to earth and come to judge. And yet for us as Christians, that's what makes this time of year so sweet. Is that the gift has already been given. Uh, the wrapping has already been taken off. Uh, He's working in and through our lives. We're experiencing the joy of the gift. 
It's simply a reminder that this gift is not a one-time thing and then hopefully you get another one next year. No, this is the, 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 the never-ending gift. The gift of Christ the Son. The one who came and died, the one who has saved us from our sin and the one who will turn and take us out of all this remaining evil that he is working even now to eradicate through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, when we hear Isaiah 7.14 may be sung through the Messiah, when we may read it in the coming days in Matthew 1 verse 23, we must remember that as Christians, this is the greatest blessing, that we have God with us, even now as Christians indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But we also must remember that this passage was originally given as a, as a passage of judgment. One that Christ is going to come and judge all of this evil of Ahaz. But also one that would come to save the remnant that was his. We're grateful this morning that he has saved us. That he has called us. And may we be those who uh, have the greatest joy. How great our joy. May it be uh, wonderful even in the coming days. Is to celebrate the, the birth of our son Jesus Christ. More than just a baby but also the king and the judge. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning. You confirmed it to us in so many ways. A man who, by your decree, foretold a birth 500 years in advance. We know well that that birth happened. One who would come and came for the singular purpose in obedience to you, the Father, to live and die and be raised. And that we know well happened. Father, there's so many other things that you do on a constant and daily basis. To confirm that your word is true and that it is all sufficient. That to place our trust in you is not to be placing our trust in some sort of hopeless thing. But it is, it is to place our trust in reality, in that which is true, that which has never failed. Father, we pray that you would strengthen our faith as believers. If there's one here this morning that has hardened or she has hardened their heart to you, that you would help them to recognize. Open their eyes. Use whatever means at your disposal is necessary to force them to recognize that you are almighty God and you have sent your son Jesus Christ as the only means by which they may be right with you and that they will repent of their sin and turn in saving faith, trusting in Christ to pay for all their sins. They will find rest and strength, nourishment, eternal life, adoption, relationship, Peace, joy, 
that is eternal and unlike any other. Father, we sing joy to the world now. The Lord has come. We look forward to that day when the heavens will open and the Lord himself will descend with a shout. With the voice of an archangel. And we will be able to sing joy to the world. He has come. We sing it now, Father, in anticipation of that day. When this little child who is now the king of all the world will come again to judge the living and the dead and take us up to be with him forever in eternity. Strengthen us for this coming week. May this word ring in our hearts. In the precious and holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen.